Uh, so my name is uh, Sean Sears. I'm the lead pastor here at Grace Church. So whether you are in uh, Avon, Braintree, or Bridgewater, or even online, thank you guys for being a part of our weekend services. Uh, we don't take it for granted that you guys are here. Um, and we are in the first week of a new series uh, for Christmas, and uh, we're going to be looking at different Christmas songs that we sing, uh, and then kind of uh, look at where those songs came from, and then look at those passages of scriptures and use those passages of scriptures uh, then to talk about to talk about Jesus. So uh, don't think I'm surprising anybody with the whole Jesus topic at Christmas time, right? So we knew that that was coming. I do want to find out. Uh, who is uh, who? Who the who's the crazies in here? So, um, if you guys were listening to Christmas music before Thanksgiving, raise your hand. All right, just 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 checking. All right, uh, nod your head if you already have your Christmas tree up. All right, you guys are the okay. If you're already done shopping, uh, raise your hand. We need to know who to hate. Because we hate you because we ain't you. I think that's what that's all, that's what that's all about. Oh my word! I have not even started. I, I made a joke uh, uh, to my son about about Christmas and how he never buys me uh, anything this morning. And he said, "Dad, I'm already done with you." And I, and I uh, apparently homeboy is actually. This is the first Christmas I've felt loved by my children, is the point I'm trying to make, apparently, because usually it's their mama who buys their Christmas presents for them and, and not them themselves, so I'm feeling extra special because uh, he, he, he's already got me taken, taken care of uh, th this year. Uh, so our, 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 our theme uh, for, this, for today, the song that we're covering today is uh, Oh Holy Night. How many guys nod your head if you know Oh Holy Night? Right, you guys know. <laughs> Apparently, I don't know that song uh, because I started humming right away without, without the words. Uh, but that song actually comes to us from, from France. And it was written in 1847 uh, by a non-religious guy. He was raised in the Catholic Church and walked away from the Catholic Church, uh, as some, some of us have just walked away from God as, as we grew up also. He, he did as well. He got his uh, law degree uh, in, in Paris and then moved back to the town that he was from. And uh, as an attorney, took up poetry as a hobby and was kind of more well-known for his poetic skills than his attorney skills. So... <laughs> feel bad for that guy. Uh, and then his parish priest that he grew up with actually reached out to him, not for, uh, you know, attorney help, you know, law, law help, but uh, to actually write a poem based on Luke chapter 2. Uh, knowing that the guy had kind of drifted away from God, but knew his, his unbelievable, like, you know, gift in poetry. Uh, so this guy was actually on his way back to Paris. Uh, his, his name was Pl Placide, Placide. Am I saying this right? Yeah, Placide Capot. And I don't speak French, so I'm sure I just jacked that up. Uh, but on the ride from his home to France in the carriage, he actually wrote the, like all the verses and every, like he had the whole song done in that, in that one carriage ride. And was so, like, like having been out of church for so long, but spending that whole time, like thinking over Luke chapter 2, was so moved by his own poem that he said, I need to do more with this. So while he was in Paris, he actually reached out to uh, another friend of his who was not a follower of Jesus, but who was a gifted and famous composer in Paris at the day, uh, whose name was uh, Adolf, uh, which is an unfortunate first name. Um, <laughs> Adolf Adams, uh, who was actually a 
Jewish composer. So there's an ex-Catholic and a Jewish guy who actually tag-teamed to give us one of the best Christmas hymns of all time. And uh, this was then uh, debuted that, that, coming, that, that coming Christmas back in this small town and was so well-received that within just a few years, like all of Europe was singing this song until the Pope found out who wrote the song and composed the music and then said, this is no longer good for Christian consumption. And the church took its blessing off of the song, but God apparently didn't uh, because the song kept going and became like insanely, and churches all over the world continued singing, singing that song. Uh, neat thing is that in uh, the Prussian War, right, uh, because we know so much about the Prussian War, uh, in the late 1800s, uh, on Christmas Eve during the Prussian-Franco War, uh, it, you, you may have heard of this, uh, but during Christmas Eve, during one of the lulls, one of the Frenchmen uh, stood up out of the foxhole, and it was, a, it was, a, it was a, a cloudless night, and it was a full moon, and uh, so he stood up in, in plain sight uh, on the front lines, unarmed, and began singing, O Holy Night, as loudly as he possibly could in French. And the Germans understood which song he was singing because while they knew the German words, he was singing French. It was in the same tune. And they sat there in complete silence. And then, when, and then all the French started singing. And when the song was over, the Germans, one of the Germans then stood up out of his foxhole and, and shot the guy. No, I'm just kidding. That didn't happen. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. I got to tell, like, you guys were really into that story. I was like, this would be hilarious. It'd be totally funny if I got up and said that that dude shot the guy. And, like, they'd they kill me. So some of you guys may want to do that. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I'm sorry. That's not what happened. So the, the German guy stood up out of the foxhole, also unarmed, and started singing a Christmas carol in German that Martin Luther, who was German, had written, and then all of the Germans chimed in and finished that Christmas song, uh, singing that to the French. And there was that famous 24 hours of peace in the middle of that Franco-Prussian uh, war that you may have heard about. And it was this song that started it. And then in 1906, uh, there was a guy uh, actually in Marshfield, Massachusetts, who had been uh, an assistant to Thomas Edison, who was uh, an inventor like his mentor, and they had already developed AM radio. But the only thing they knew to use with AM radio was Morse code. So it was really useful in that you could do Morse code without telegraph wires. You could do Morse code wirelessly. But nobody had ever figured out how to, to like project the human voice on radio waves yet. Un until this, this guy did. His name is Reginald uh, Fessenden. And Re Reginald Fessenden from Marshfield, Massachusetts, developed an instrument that allowed him to project the human voice over AM radio waves. And it was Christmas Eve, 1906, in Marshfield, Mass. There's actually a monument there. It's in the middle of a campground. <laughs> but they've got this stone monument that was on this spot. The very first radio broadcast went out. And it was Reginald Fessenden quoting Luke chapter 2. 
And when he was done with Luke chapter 2, he picked up his violin and he played, O Holy Night. And the only people in the entire world who heard it was everybody who only lived within a 12-mile radius who had the only thing they had ever heard over these airwaves were just dots and dashes who, with their headphones on, waiting for dots and dashes, right? Like they're, they're waiting on that, heard for the very first time. And, and many of them, they thought it was an angel reading Luke. Because the idea of human voice being on radio waves like, had never been, like, they could not imagine, like, this is impossible, this is a miracle. And they thought it was an angel, actually, that was reading Luke chapter 2 to them. And then, like, that's the history, and this song now, and that's how this song became so popular in America. And the reason why Reginald Fessenden from Marshfield, Massachusetts, picked this song is because of the verse that talks about the abolition of slavery, because he was a Christian abolitionist. That's why he chose this song. And so this is the very first song in the history of the world that was ever on the radio. Isn't that cool? That's like a really cool story to this. And, and so it comes from Luke chapter 2, and, uh, which covers, it's, it's one of the most famous passages of Scripture covering the birth of Jesus. This is also the chapter of the Bible that's quoted in Charlie Brown Christmas. That's how you know it's ordained of God. When Linus gets up during their, remember that? Where he's, he gets up and, he's, he, he, and, he, and, he, and he recites uh, uh, the birth of Jesus, right? That, that, that came from Luke chapter 2. And, and in the early church, Christmas wasn't like what it is now where we give gifts. And that actually comes from uh, St. Saint, Saint Nicholas and, and who gave gifts to orphan children. Uh, and by the way, St. Nicholas, one of the things that he's famous for before, like, I think he became more famous posthumously after he had died than he was ever famous in his lifetime. Because what he was most famous for in his lifetime uh, was he was at a church council defending the deity of Jesus. And when another bishop was saying that Jesus was just a regular man and was not God as man, St. Nicholas got frustrated and walked over and punched the man in the face. That's a true story. So St. Nick punched a guy out because he denied the deity of Jesus. So homeboy was a defender of the faith in every sense of the word. Right? That's St. Nick. Uh, but in that, sure, you, <laughs> a couple of people are like, yes, yes, I love violent Christianity. Love it. Crusades, all about it. That's inappropriate. My bad. I, I always go one step too far, don't I? Like, like here's the line, and I always go tiptoe right over it, and my wife gets me in trouble. At, I, I get myself in trouble. She just holds me accountable, I think, is the way. I'm thankful to God for that chick, or I'd be swearing every week at church. Like, I'd be completely unfit for consumption. All right, anyway. Uh, so it, the Apostle Paul actually... so. It, he mentions the birth of Jesus, I think, more than any of the other New Testament authors. And, and when he mentions this, he doesn't mention it as the source or the cause of gift-giving or merriment or myrrh or candles or trees inside your house or lights outside your house. Like he, he doesn't mention it at, in, in that context at all. When, when, um, when, when, when Paul brings up the birth of Jesus... He brings it up because of its biblical significance. Because when Jesus was born into the world, God was fulfilling the promises that he had been making in almost every generation since the first generation had been kicked out of the Garden of Eden. 
Like, that's why the birth of Jesus is so important. Now, I'm going to give you a second to get to the book of Isaiah. It's in the Hebrew Scriptures, what Christians would refer to as the Old Testament. So if you've got your Bible, go, go to that passage of Scripture, please. Uh, but Isaiah chapter 9 is where we're going to be in just a second. Um, but this is the fulfillment of Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, uh, God had told Adam and Eve when he sat them down after they had sinned against him, he had said, uh, here's the consequences for your choice to walk away from the creator of life. You guys have now created the other option, which is death. You walked away from up, now you got to go down, right? That's, that's what had happened. But he didn't leave them without, without hope. He said, someday there would be a baby who would be born to a woman. The only time in the whole Bible where a baby is referred to as the child of a, a woman and not a man, indicating virgin birth. Um, and, and, uh, uh, and, 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 and he says, and, and Satan, uh, you will uh, crush his heel when he crush, takes your authority. When he, when he, he'll crush your head and, and you'll crush his heel, which are both metaphors for he was saying that this, this child of the woman would take away your authority in the world when you take away his life. That, that, that's the back, actually the very first mention of what we celebrate as Christmas, the birth of Jesus, is all the way in the third chapter of, of the Bible. Uh, Numbers, another book in the Torah, uh, brings up the idea that when the Messiah will come, he will come with a, or as a, or with a, a star. That's in Numbers chapter uh, 20, 24. Micah chapter 5 Verse 2 says that when this son of the woman would, would show up, this, this son of the woman would show up, it would, it would happen in the city of, of Bethlehem. Um, Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 15 said that following his death, there'd be crying because of the women who had lost babies. And we know from history that Herod then, in pursuit of the baby Jesus, because of the story he had heard from the white wise men, uh, went to Bethlehem and murdered every child, uh, male child, uh, under the age of, of two, which was the time at which the wise men had said they had first seen the stars. So King Herod didn't know, well, he could, I guess he could have been born then. So since that was two years ago, every boy, just to be safe, murdered. Uh, and, and God had actually told, uh, warned Joseph about that in a dream. And they actually escaped before that happened into Egypt, which is important because there's another passage of Scripture that says that Messiah would come out of Egypt, which didn't make sense to Jewish scholars if he's from Bethlehem. How could he be from Bethlehem and from Egypt? It seemed like a, like a contradiction, but we see in the life of Jesus that those puzzle pieces, which forever had stumped Jewish scholars, perfectly fall into, the, into place. Uh, Hosea chapter 11, verse 1 also talks about Christmas. These are all Hebrew references to what we as, as followers of Jesus, both Jews and non-Jews, celebrate as, as, as Christmas. Uh, Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 goes into detail about the virgin birth. And it's chapter 9 that we're going to read really quick. And, and I asked you to look that up uh, and then did not take the opportunity to do that myself. Isaiah chapter 9. Uh, where it says in verse 6 and 7 is where I'm going to be reading. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. Uh, the government will rest on his shoulders. And this child, this son that would be born would be called. Remember, this is in the Jewish Bible talking about uh, the rescuer of all mankind. The one that God had told Adam and Eve about in the garden. The one that God had told Abraham that if you leave her the Chaldees, someday through you, 
the rescuer for all of mankind will show up. It's in the Jewish Bible where it says that this baby who would be born would show up. When Messiah comes, he'd come as a baby, born uh, as a baby boy. The government will be on his shoulders, and this baby will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never, never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all of eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this, this happen. And the reason why Paul talks so much about it is the Christmas story is the day that God kept all of these promises that he had been making for centuries to the Jewish people through their, through their prophets. So what I wanted to do for today is not read Luke chapter 2. We're going to do that later this month. What I wanted to do is I wanted to talk to you about why Jesus decided to show up at Christmas the way he showed up at Christmas. And the answer to that is given to us in a letter that Paul had written to all of the churches that he had started all throughout the Roman Empire, almost on his deathbed. He's at the end of his life. This is almost like his swan song. It's one of the last letters that he's writing to all of these followers of Jesus, both Jews and Gentiles that he had met during his whole lifetime. He wrote this letter intending it to be copied and spread to all of the churches. And in the first chapter, he talks about how difficult of a road this has been for him because Paul was tortured and many actually two different times I think it's two different times maybe three different times he was tortured to death they thought like his executioners thought he was dead dumped his body outside of the city where they dump rotten bodies right and homeboy just was like <laughs> gets up and goes and finds a clinic and and gets back on the horse and gets back at it again is is what happened to him so he like hits like following Jesus has, has, has been very costly for him. Uh, as part of the religious leading class of Jews, uh, he was wealthy. He was, he was born into a wealthy family. He had rich parents, and he was a, he was a kid of means, right? Like he, would, he had the best education. He was trade, uh, 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 mentored uh, at the feet of Gamaliel, which doesn't mean anything to us. Uh, but to, like, it, would, it would be like somebody telling you that they were personally mentored uh, by Bill Gates. Like if somebody was personally mentored by Bill Gates, that guy, uh, homeboy better bring it. Would you agree when it comes to business and computer skills? If he's mentored by Bill Gates or, you know, like that, that kind of a thing. Or like he's, he's Tim Ferriss's personal assistant and now he's starting his own business. You're going to invest in that guy if you get the opportunity. That's the Apostle Paul. And when he became a devoted follower of Jesus, the one that he had actually made a living murdering those who had said that he had followed, had risen from the dead. Like, this is insane. He actually walked away from everything. He went from the very top to the very bottom. And truthfully, when he first started following Jesus, even the other followers of Jesus wouldn't meet with him because they were afraid that he was faking it so that he could get in as a spy and murder them. Because the very first person who was ever killed for being a devoted follower of Jesus was killed at the insistence and at the direction of Paul. So he's the first guy to ever kill anybody for saying that Jesus had risen from the dead. And now he's spent his entire life proving to everybody that he had. And this had cost him greatly. So in chapter 1, he's not whining or complaining. He's just saying, it's been a rough road. And everything that I've gone through, God has used 
not only to build up my faith, but to build up yours. And then he says in the middle of chapter 1, i got to be honest, I'm ready to die. Because if I were to die right now, I would instantly be in the presence of God and I would receive the reward of a life lived well. And I'm at that stage where I think I'm ready for that. And he says, but I don't think that's what God wants because there's still more to do. You know what more there was to do? Finish writing this letter. So then he gets to the end. And persecution is now happening all over the Roman Empire. It has now become illegal to say that Jesus is God. Because if Jesus is, then Caesar isn't. And Christians all over the known world are being tortured to death. Like these are crazy times. Crazy times. When he writes this letter. He starts off in Philippians chapter, chapter 1, verse 29. And here's what he says. For you have not been given, you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Jesus, but also the privilege of suffering for him. Paul had talked about the rewards that come when we choose to suffer, not for the sake of doing wrong. He says there's no glory in suffering because you got caught doing something wrong. But if you're suffering for doing something that's right, for something that's right, and you suffer well, that's honorable. It's honorable. When you don't cave when others would, but you didn't, it's awesome. What a beautiful testimony to the greatness of Jesus in your life. So he's talking about this privilege of being such a phenomenal example of godliness because of our suffering. That he says in verse 30, we are in this struggle together. You've seen my struggle in the past. And you know that I am still in the middle of my struggle. So while we have chapter divisions, then it goes to chapter 2. When Paul wrote this, he didn't go, chapter 1, hey, what's up? Life is hard, but I'm still here. Chapter 2, it didn't go like that. We broke it up. Like it was broken up centuries later so that we could find the things that they wrote easily. But when Paul wrote this, it was just one continuous thought, right? Now he had, he had different thoughts in his letter, but he wrote it more fluidly than what it's broken up for us. So this is still in that same line. He says, you know that I'm still in the middle of this. He goes, is there any encouragement from belonging to Jesus? Is there any comfort from his love? Is there any fellowship together in spirit? Are, are your hearts tender and compassionate? And he, he's like, like is, there, is there any hope in this world anymore? Right? Like he's like, is there anything good left in life? Like, it's, this world is broken. And honestly, I, I don't think it's gotten a whole lot better. Now, I think here in our country, we're, we're kind of sheltered a little bit. But the rest of the world, like, are the poorest person in this gathering is wealthier than 90% of the rest of the world. Right? And we have more access to more services and more health care than any. Like, like, we have got it well, and even here we recognize this world is jacked up. Nod your head if you would agree if that's true. And he's saying, I recognize that this is jacked up. And truthfully, for some of us, it feels even worse when it gets to Christmas. Because we can live our lives distracted most of the year, but when it comes to Christmas, we have to go back and face our family again. And for some of us, that's the source of the greatest pain. And it's the place with the most unresolved conflict. And it's Christmas that we dread. And that's why Christmas isn't your favorite holiday. It has nothing to do with the birth of Jesus. It has everything to do with not being able to get away 
from the people <laughs> who look nothing like him. Right? Like we're, we're stuck in this. So what do we do if we're not looking forward to this? If this Christmas, things are rough. Because not everybody's working right now. Not everybody has their bills paid. Not everybody is caught up. Not everybody is free of debt. Not everybody has all of their Christmas taken care of and all of the money and savings that it's going to take to be generous to everybody they want to be generous to. Not everybody has that. What do we do if we're in this place? And that's where he moves it. So he brings up this problem. Is there anything good left? Is there any hope left in the world? Is there any joy in anything? He says, then do this. Because if you're struggling to answer that question, he wrote verse 2 for you. In verse 2, he says this. Then do this. Make me truly happy by, you ready for this? Agreeing wholeheartedly, agreeing wholeheartedly with each other. And this doesn't mean that we become mindless idiots where we all vote the same way. We all agree that everybody is right, nobody is wrong. It's not what he's talking about. So I, like, and, but that's what I thought, is, is that what he meant? So when it says that we need to agree wholeheartedly with each other, what is he actually saying we need to do? And without, you guys, I don't think I'm shocking anybody to tell you that the Bible wasn't written in English. Uh, Paul didn't, didn't speak English, and Jesus wasn't white. So uh, just mess up everybody's religion right there, okay? So that's, he, he, he wrote in, in this letter in Greek, so I actually went to the original languages to see what word he, what phrase he used that we translated into wholeheartedly agree. Because I'm not exactly sure what he's asking me to do here. And the idea behind this word is what he's saying is what we need to do. If this is where you're at, then what you need to do is you need to redirect your mind unto others. That's how you'll get out of this. You're a little too focused on the problems down here. What I want you to do is I want you to lift your head just a little bit. And here's what I need you to do. Make me happy. By directing your attention to others. That's what you need to do. I want you to start thinking about how the other people around you are doing. Keep reading because he keeps going. Uh, be wholehearted towards each other. I want you to start directing your attention towards others. Love, love one another. I, I, think, I think we got that, right? Uh, working together with one mind and, and purpose. Verse 3 says, don't, don't be selfish. I, I looked that up also just because I was hoping that it didn't mean don't be selfish. <laughs> but it does. So in the Greek, it just means don't be a jerk. All right? So like look up, right? Direct your hearts towards other people. Don't make it all, all about you right now. Uh, and then he, then he keeps going because this next one, he kind of pokes me in the eye a little bit. Uh, and he says, don't be selfish and, and don't, don't try to impress others. Because that gets to my motivation for being nice to other people. Or am I the only selfish jerk in the, jerker in the room? Because I don't mind, like, a, you know, giving my attention to other people and not being selfish so that they recognize how unselfish I am. <laughs> and how much I am focused on them. Right? So that they will do what? Return the favor. Because when they don't, then who stops being others focused and starts being selfish again? It's me. Because I'm fine 
being nice to you on the condition that you are what? Nice to me. It's, it's just true. Because when you're not, then guess who else isn't? And Paul says, you're now part of the problem again. You can't live like that. It doesn't work. This I'll scratch your back if you scratch my back. I'll love you if you love me back. I'll be selfless to you as long as you're not selfish to me. Because then everything's conditional, and, but everybody's broken. So since if everything is conditional and everybody's broken, then everybody ends up becoming the enemy or at least living in opposition to everybody else around them. And he says, you've become, you've become the problem again. Uh, back at it. Uh, don't look out. Uh, be humble. Uh, uh, be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. And that was the one... I wanted to stop on for a second because I think we have a problem with that because our culture says, love yourself, love yourself, be true to yourself, be true to yourself. But if everybody was true to themselves, uh, then we, truthfully, because what's in my best interest sometimes is the exact opposite of what's in best in, in your interest. And scripture says uh, that the heart is wickedly, like is, is evil and wickedly deceitful. Like, like we're tricked by our own own motives. So the truth is, if I'm true to myself, I end up isolated again from, from God and others. That was a problem Adam and Eve had, is they were true to themselves. So what does he mean when he says, count other people better than yourselves? So again, I wanted to go back and, and look to the way that, like, well, how did Paul actually say this? And what he was saying was, you need to make others, ab the word is actually placing others above you. That's the phrase that he uses. And the idea here behind this placing others above you is that you are placing yourself under other people. So it's not that they have greater value than you as much as it is you placing a greater priority on them than you do on you. The idea, if I'm going to make others better than myself or if I'm going to put others above me, what I'm saying is, Here's what this means for me to get out of this funk. I need to place myself this season and truthfully in all seasons of my life in a position of service to the good of others. Now, that actually echoes the things that Jesus said, where he said to pray for those who hurt you, to love those who are your enemies who despitefully use you. He says, Jesus says, what good is it if you love people who love you back? Anybody can do this. Like seriously, like a criminal, like a guy in death row, right? Like that guy can love people who love him. But those who follow me are able to love those who don't love them back. And all Paul is saying is what I want you to do, like if, if this is a tough season for you, what is in your best interest is to lift your eyes out of your funk and look at others. And the consideration is, and this is, take, this is going to take you being unselfish, how can I serve them, whether they serve me back? Which then leads to the question, why? Why do I have to do that? And Paul brings up, he says, I'll tell you why. Christmas. That's why. This is the whole attitude behind Jesus showing up in that barn when the angels sang to two unmarried poor people. That's why. That's in verse 5. 
Verse 5, you must have the same attitude that Jesus did. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. When did he do this? When did he appear in human form? At what time of year? Christmas. This is that season. Paul says, here's the reason why. Because this is at the essence of the attitude of Jesus. And those of you who want to be at a place where you are living, loving, giving, and serving the way Jesus lived, loved, gave, and served. The spirit of Christmas is not, <laughs> it's going to bring up the Hallmark theme for every Hallmark movie ever, right? Businesswoman goes back to town for Christmas, meets single dad who runs flower shop. who slightly annoys her until they get married. Now, is that not the end of every single Hallmark movie ever, ever, ever made? That I can tell you on the authority of Jesus is not what Christmas is all about. Just don't tell my wife, please. There are three attitudes that come with Christmas, and that's what we're parking, and it came from those three verses we just read. And then we're going to wrap it up. Number one is this. Here's the first thing that Jesus did. Jesus voluntarily gave up his rights and honestly, I think that's the hardest thing for us. Because I have a right. And truthfully, other people trample on them. They don't give me my fair share. They don't give me my dues. They don't give me the recognition or the appreciation that I deserve. And I hold that over them. And what it took for Jesus to actually show up in human history and do for us what needed to be done was that he didn't, he wasn't able to count on us to appreciate him enough. It's a good thing. Because if he was going to wait for us to show appreciation first, we'd all be on our way to hell. Where we all rightfully deserve to be. So the attitude that Jesus had was first this. And it was if, in verse 7, we read it. Verse 6. He did not think equality with God is something to cling to. Verse 7, instead, he gave up his privileges. You know what it's going to take for you to be reconciled to those who are distant from you this Christmas? It's going to take you letting go of your right to hear them apologize. Now, who wants that? <laughs> I'm telling you, like, this Jesus thing ain't easy. Am I right? Like, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is the stuff I don't like. It's got to take you loving and serving your boss when your boss takes credit for your work. Can I get an amen? No? Didn't think so. We don't want to amen that one, do we? Right? When people don't apologize, when they don't forgive us when we've asked. When people, right? You, it's brutal. So here's the question. Is there a part of your life that you have not yielded to God? What part of your life are you making conditional on your rights? Who is it that owes you? And are you willing to forgive them of that debt? Because I'm thankful Jesus forgave me of a debt I knew I could never pay, repay. He knew I could never repay. If it was on me to repay, it never would have been paid off. So he shows up at Christmas because he was able to get to a place where he was willing to give up his divine rights. Are you willing to give up yours? 
Because this is going to determine whether or not you're able to follow Jesus. That's the first thing he did. Number two was that he voluntarily placed himself in a position to serve. He went from being all-powerful creator, it says. He took the humble position of a slave. He went from being all-powerful creator to a defenseless baby in a feeding trough. Can you imagine how disappointed the angels must have been? The angels who were created by God himself. The Bible says it was the very words of God that created everything in existence and that the words of God became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glories of the only begotten of the Father. And by the way, when it talks about the word of God becoming flesh and dwelling among us, it's referencing Christmas again there also and that's in John, John chapter 1. So when the angels opened up their eyes for the very first time, they were looking into the face of God. And when they knew that God was going to show up on earth as a baby, you know some of the angels had some expectations of what that should be like. Because they've been worshiping him as Lord over all creation since their, the beginning of their existence. What is worthy of this? The fact that he would be born into humanity was probably shocking enough to them. But if he's going to do it, at least let it be in a what? A palace? But what human-made palace would be good enough for the creator and Lord over all the universe. But instead, it was in a cow poop filled, stinky, smelly, urine caked, straw covered feeding trough. If anybody had a right to be respected, it was Jesus, and he didn't demand it. Neither should we. If anybody had a right to be given more credit, it was Jesus. Yes or no? If there was anybody who had the right to be adored, it was Jesus. And he voluntarily put himself at the bottom of the ladder. That's what he did. And then he goes on to tell his disciples that any one of you who wants to be first must be what? And guess who went first? He did. And the truth is, He's never asked us to do anything he didn't go first on. See, he has the right to ask you to die to self because he died to his self for you. He has a right to ask you to forgive people for unforgivable things because he forgave you for unforgivable things. He has a right to ask you to love people who are unlovable because he loves you when you're unlovable. He's never asked you to do anything he didn't do for you first. You can't have that attitude while keeping score. Well, they did this, they did this, they did this, they did this. All right, you're already not following Jesus because you've got a list. You can't do this. You can't, you can't wash someone's feet while standing over them. I stole that line from Pastor Stephen. I thought that was good, and I wanted to take credit for it, but then I'd be lying, and I realized I probably shouldn't lie while telling everybody they should be like Jesus. <laughs> so that's a quote from Stephen Sargent, as quoted by Sean Sears. <laughs> Third, Jesus voluntarily laid down his life for God's will and our good. Christmas is the starting line that ended with Jesus' death and sacrifice. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says that Jesus went from king to servant and even became sin itself for our sake. 
so that he could become our sacrifice. What if Jesus had come as a king? If he would have come as a king, then he would have been modeling for us that the goal was power, prestige, and wealth. And he knew that that being our goal was the source of most of our problems. What if Jesus hadn't lived his life in order to serve and die for us? Then we would still, to this day, be without hope. So here's the three questions I'm going to wrap it up with. Number one is this, that you need to ask yourself. Number one, what have I not given up my rights to? I'm going to ask you to take your communication card. It's what you were given when you walked in today. Turn that over to the blank section. There's a place where you can take notes. It's got a few, like, prompts. Like, what was the main takeaway for you in this? Like, it's, it's got, like, some prompts on there. One of the things I'd like, I'd like you to answer these, these three questions. Number one is this. What is, what have I not given up my rights to? What right am I still demanding? It, you might be demanding this of others. You might be demanding this of God. I have no idea. Second question, who are you keeping score with? Who is it whose offenses to you are mounting up and it really matters to you? Write their name down. Write their name down. And answer this with a yes or no. Have I chosen to lay down my life and my rights in service to God and them? Yes or no? Because that is the heart of Christmas. Not Hallmark tweet that. <laughs> Let's pray. Jesus, I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful that you laid down your rights, your divine privileges, the right to be served. I'm thankful. God, help me be the man that you want me to be. Help me to quit keeping score. Help me to pray for the blessings of those who have hurt me, like you said in the Sermon on the Mount to do. Could you make that your prayer? Could you right now think of the person who's hurt you? And can you pray, God, bless them? I don't mean it. Pray it anyway. He didn't say pray it if you mean it. He said pray for them who hurt you. Bless those who've persecuted you. I've had people hurt me, and I've been counseled to pray for God to bless them when I didn't mean it. It was my dad. He said pray it because God said to, not because you feel it. And someday you'll feel it. And when you finally mean that prayer is when you're finally healed from what they did to you. God bless them. Help me to serve others who don't deserve it. Help me to let go of my rights so that I can be more like you. Dear God, please help me be the man you want me to be, the woman you want me to be. God, this is our prayer. We ask this in the great name of Jesus for your glory, for the good of others, trusting that in this process you will make our joy full. And we all pray this in Jesus' name and say together, amen.